and welcome to the Aged Care Today podcast. I'm Tom Simonson, CEO of ACPA, and I'm joined by Roald Stieg, our General Manager of Policy and Advocacy. We wanted to spend a bit of time today talking about the financial sustainability issues paper that we released uh, a little while ago uh, to drive a public conversation on financing quality aged care into the future. And we wanted to discuss some of the issues that we raised in that paper today, as well as some of the solutions for consideration, um, but also the thinking behind the paper itself, how it came about, why we did it, uh, how we created it, uh, who we brought along for that journey, and how it was received and what happens next. So let's start with the, the, the first question. Why did we actually decide to do this? Oh, yeah, so I think that the one of the key drivers for developing this paper was uh, really around the discussions that were sort of being had across the country and the government sort of had looked at these issues um, and started to sort of talk a little bit about, well, what do we do with aged care financial sustainability, but uh, hadn't really put anything forward uh, for that broader discussion. Um, we know that... Uh, financial sustainability in aged care and funding for aged care uh, is an issue and we know that it needs to be addressed. Uh, but we really hadn't seen yet a plan or a process on how we would go about having those conversations with the community because obviously there are question marks around um, uh, taxes, there are question marks around consumer co-contributions. We know for a fact that we don't currently have enough funding in the system but how do we ensure that there is enough funding in the system? So, so I think for us, it was really around being proactive and actually putting a paper out there so that we could have those conversations that we needed to have and also really to assist the government in their deliberations because, you know, they had uh, uh, indicated we needed to have this conversation, uh, but they didn't have the way forward. So we, 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 we were trying to ensure that they had something to start those conversations on. Well, and, and and one of the really stark things was just how frightened everybody seemed to be of having this conversation. Um, and I think there's there's good reason for that, because so many times in the past, people have tried to talk about whatever it happens to them. And the Royal Commission suggested changes to the tax system, maybe a specific levy. And it was so controversial, nobody would touch it. And so we end up with a Royal Commission that recommends a whole heap of stuff to improve care that costs money, but with almost none of the things that raise money uh, being dealt with. So we just decided to see if it was still a dangerous thing to do to raise um, the issues that that we have raised. And uh, it seems that actually it's been received pretty well. Um, mm. I, think, I think one of the things that has changed is that people now see just how much of a problem financial sustainability is for aged care and the community actually wants a good aged care system so it's meant that raising some of the issues that in previous years would have seen you getting your head shot off um that has not been what's happened um but it's not to say we weren't a bit afraid well mm. i think we were all a little bit afraid that might be exactly what happened um but it's it's really good to see that it, it hasn't been so so in terms of the process we we really worked to try and bring together uh, a group of uh, different people with different perspectives 
to give us input into what might be in an issues paper. We had a, um, a financial sustainability summit in Canberra at Old Parliament House on the 1st of June, uh, which was before the now uh, in place aged care task force had been announced. That was announced a week later. The timing couldn't really have been better, could it? Uh, and, and we brought together uh, representatives of, of dozens of organizations from different backgrounds, consumers, unions, providers, government, uh, economists, accountants, uh, to talk about what are the issues um, without wanting to say that there was a particular unified view on what should happen, but just to canvas what they are. And the issues paper came as a result of that. So do you want to, uh, how do you find that summit? Role, that experience of bringing together that quite unusual um, group of people who in most cases would not spend a huge amount of time together talking about these kinds of things. Yeah, it was quite an in interesting process. So I think that um, uh, one of the things that I reflect on is, you know, we did have a diverse group of people in the room and in terms of the provider perspective, they didn't make up the majority of the room, but they made up a fair, a sizable portion of the room. Um, and we had providers there from metro areas, from regional, rural. Uh, we also had small, medium, large. We had uh, those who provided home care, residential aged care services, and also uh, community-based services. And I think what was really interesting in terms of the mix of stakeholders we had in the room was that there was actually, and I'm just picking up on a point that you made earlier, Tom, is that we there was no question around the uh, the strain on the system, the fact that we needed more funding. We didn't even have to have that conversation. That was just a given. And so what we could do is go straight into, well, what do we do? So we know we've got this issue here. We know we've got a challenge. We know we need to address it. But um, uh, what are the solutions? And as you say, it was um, really an exploration of the issues, uh, looking at the different options and of course we talked about taxpayer funded options so we talked about the things that you can't talk about like a like in, increased taxation we talked about things like a levy we talked about uh social social insurance um so we we, we sort of looked at all these issues that you can't talk about and i think that in terms of the process people were actually quite open to those issues and we had a fearless and frank conversation knowing that uh these weren't sort of like we had to land on this recommendation or that recommendation, but simply to explore the issues. Well, and I think that actually made it freer. Um, and at the end of the day, what came out was an issue paper. It wasn't a recommendation to this, that or the other thing. And that allowed people to put their true views on the table. And there were some pretty um, tough conversations around the room during that, that session, people being really clear about their discomfort with certain things or uh, their fear about others, uh, their fear about what behaviours uh, could, could come out of change. Um, but, but one thing was really consistent, as you say, everybody said, we know it's not working now. Something has to happen, something's got to give. And if we all want better care and better lives for older people. That was the other unanimous view. And you'd be pretty disappointed if it wasn't, but that was a unanimous view. Everybody wanted better for older people, not just better funded versions of the same. Um, it allowed people to have the kind of conversation that I've not really seen very often in this sector since I joined it. Um, so we had that session 
we got together those those kind of inputs and then we had to write a paper uh, and that was uh, i thought that the, the the summit would be the most challenging part and putting everybody in the room actually wasn't <laughs> the most challenging part was pulling together a paper that tried to balance uh, all of the different views that have been put forward, uh, tried to be uh, true to those views, not try to shave off any of the, the bits that we may or may not have agreed with, um, and put forward all of the uh, potential options. The way I, I've described it generally is everything that is a potential viable option, whether or not it's a good idea is another issue, but anything that's a viable option is in the paper. Mm. Uh, and, and that, that, it resulted in um, a huge amount of work, Rob, for you and, and for your team and for others who, who advised us on the process to come up with a 31-page paper uh, that canvassed all of those issues, as well as uh, putting forward all of the options without trying to prioritise anyone or the other. What 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 are your reflections on, on that? Well, certainly agree, as you say. Um, we thought that the major task would be just bringing the summit together but in fact um, it paled in comparison to pulling the paper together so i think that we did have a really diverse range of views in the room and trying to ensure that the different views were reflected uh, was quite a task in terms of pulling it all together into that single paper i think the difficult the most difficult part was really that um, exploration of consumer co-con contribution so looking at what does that look like um you know what are what would be the rules around uh consumer contributions what are the what are the protections you know how, how would means testing work and so there were so many different views expressed in the room and trying to pull that together into a sensible section within the paper that explored all those issues was a really really big task but I think we got there and we did it in a way where we did look at the different aspects of it. We looked at sort of the different options. Um, you know, we did actually talk about things, again, you can't talk about, like the inheritance, uh, superannuation, um, asset testing, the family home. And we, we tried to take, you know, the reader on that journey through in terms of, well, you know, here are all the issues and here are all the options. I think what was really fascinating, Tom, was when we were at Parliament House the day of the release of the report um, and what the media chose to focus on. Of course, you know, we we explored dozens of issues, dozens of options in the paper, and yet it almost sounded like in if you just listened to the media reporting that all we talked about was superannuation. Yeah, I think, and we'll come back to that because I really want to talk about, um, you know, we wanted to create a national conversation but once you put it out there you're no longer in control of that conversation and how that evolved um, because i found that really fascinating um but but just coming back to one of the things that you mentioned which which we used as one of the inputs to the summit but i think a lot of people found quite surprising was some research about the changing attitudes towards inheritance um, because we did spend a lot of time really talking about some of those sacred cow issues, if you like, of the family home and the fact that at the moment it's almost not considered at all. 
in uh, terms of assessing people's wealth. It's limited under $200,000 of the value. And as we all know, there's not a person probably in the country that owns a home worth less than that, unless they're living in a very, very uh, rural or remote area. Um, and the research was quite stark. Uh, it showed that uh, people were starting to move their views around the fairness of inheritance is significant inheritance is being passed on to the next generation when aged care was not being adequately funded. And more importantly than that, the individuals who were handing on the inheritance were potentially not having a good aging and the money was potentially there to ensure that they could, but was instead being handed on insurance. And some of that, that research you know, showing just the quantum, the hundreds of billions of dollars that has been handed um, to the next generations as inheritance um, in recent years, and it's going going up by an order of magnitude, uh, was really quite stark. And I think quite a lot of people in the room were quite surprised about that. What was your um, take? Mm. Yeah, no, I thought that was a that was a really fascinating part of the day, um, and I think that in terms of those inheritances and um you know the uh the issues around that in terms of it being sort of a wealth generation thing and then uh passed on to the next gen generation i found that in general people were quite open uh to exploring the really tough questions around that um and really looking at well when you actually uh you know for example uh, uh for your superannuation when you save something up like like that um, and you get the tax breaks and what have you it's intended for retirement I think that people sort of got that pretty quickly that well actually this was this this was specifically um, uh, uh, saved to fund your retirement to ensure that you could have a, comf a comf comfortable life so I think that those are the sorts of um, issues that we explored that probably 10 years ago you couldn't um, you know, and then you, you you think about the asset testing and the and the family home and what have you. Again, you wouldn't have been able to talk about these things in times past. But you I think that as a society, tried to really. but the problem problem is if you had talked about them, and I think people probably did, you would have been seen as on the fringes of the conversation. You would have been seen as quite extreme and dismissed. Because of that, and I think that's that's something that that has changed. You can now have a conversation. I'll just I'll read out some of the stats. So this was a piece of a, a report done um, by ComplySpace by IdeaGen ComplySpace, uh, and it found that almost three quarters of Australians would be willing to forego a proportion of their inheritance if it enabled older relatives to enjoy a better retirement and a better aging. And over half, 55%, um, believe older people themselves should provide uh, a greater contribution towards aged care. Remember, this was a, 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 a survey of people of all ages. Um, and it also found that 77% of respondents believed that Australians and their families have a responsibility to pay for aged care as opposed to the taxpayer, um, as distinct from the taxpayer. Uh, only a third thought that older people should sell their home to cover the cost of their aged care. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that just shows that whilst we're a bit more comfortable talking about inheritances, 
the family home is still something that people feel uh, have an emotional reaction to. Um, obviously, 38% saying that that older people should sell their home, um, but that means that the vast majority do not think that. Uh, so it, it's just really interesting, and 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 the way that that has changed, the way people are obviously more open about it now. Um, does open us up to some conversations we couldn't have about solutions. Mm. Um, and that mm. might bring us to the conversation about superannuation, because the mm. other thing that came up uh, was, uh, you know, in, in the retirement income review that the previous government had had done, which showed that uh, on average people die with 90% of the assets that they had at retirement. And yes, a portion of that is obviously the family home. But superannuation for the first time is starting to become a decent proportion of that wealth and something like i believe a third of of um of super uh the total amount of super paid out is paid out as as uh as inheritance as opposed to to people who have saved it so still obviously the majority is used by the people who saved the money but, but a third is a big chunk so what did you did you have any sense when we were talking about superannuation role that it would become the thing that, in hindsight i think maybe we 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 do think that we could we can see why that happened but at the time did you think that's what people would pick up on to be honest uh probably not specifically um so i think i think uh what was far more controversial than super um and spending that on your retirement as intended was the discussion around the levies, the taxation. Um, and, you know, participants didn't really shy away from those conversations. And those were actually up front in the issues paper as well. So it was fascinating that that's where media went to. Um, and it's one of those things where you wonder whether it was the report or whether that's just where you know, the uh, the media want to go to in terms of those conversations. Um, and is that reflective of where the community wants to take the conversation or is that just where, you know, the media outlets thought they'd get the most bang for their buck in terms of um, having a headline story? Um, but, no, it was quite fascinating to see where that went, what they picked up on and what they didn't. Um, and as you mentioned at the start, it's a 32-page report and it's just one issue that we presented in that report. And for me, I think I would have expected that the the different principles, the, the 10 principles that we propose on what the government should consider when looking at a um, the aged care system of the future and the funding and what have you, I think that, you know, that there's quite well thought out principles there that are quite newsworthy and probably should be considered um, uh, when looking at different options. But of course, that's not what was picked up on. And we will spend a bit of time, um, I think, talking about that day, uh, which um, when we actually launched the report um, and and kind of just talking through how it how it evolved and and what what came out of it. So it was Thursday, the third of August. Uh, we rocked up at Parliament House in Canberra. Uh, and the paper was launched. What were your reflections on that day, Roald? Well, firstly, it was a very busy day. Uh, it was a very long day, and I'm sure it was even longer for you, Tom. Uh, it felt very long to me. But one thing I think that is really etched in my memory was when we were at Parliament House and the media phone start, started to ring and suddenly 
everyone wanted to talk to you. And uh, we were we were uh, just above the the fountain there, um, and um, basically we had it was ABC, SBS, Channel Nine, Channel Seven, Channel Ten, and I think one of those or two of those twice, uh, and they were all just lining up to talk to you. And it was like, oh, just one last interview, Tom. Oh, just one last one. And every time there was one last one, there was always one behind them wanting to talk to you as well. And uh, from my perspective, it was uh, it was incredible to see that, you know, um, that everyone wanted, wanted to talk about the issues paper. Um, but I was just curious from your perspective, perspective, what was it like having, I think it was about a dozen interviews all in a row? It was a very weird experience. So we, we've we've had quite a lot of success actually over the last twelve months getting our issues into the media. But this was this blew them all out of the water. I think when the wrap up came through, we'd had something like one hundred and seventy media mentions, which for people who don't do this um, every day, that's a huge amount. I think we we got more than uh, double the amount of, of media mentions on aged care that we got on budget day, which mm. is you That's just right. how significant an event this was and it was it was pretty intimidating you know i do a fair amount of this stuff but actually having cameras set up one after the other and to have to move from one answer a whole heap of questions and then move to the next one answer a whole heap of questions and we, we know superannuation was the big focus but it was far from the only focus mm. people were asking about the problems they were asking about why this mattered they were asking about uh, why uh, we were talking about levies and why we were talking about people contributing more of their own money. Uh, there were all sorts of different uh, takes. The thing that's quite interesting is each uh, journalist in each outlet takes a slightly different style uh, kind of perspective. And so, you know, I was talking to some of the, the more shock jock type radio um, mm -hmm. interviewers in, in capital cities who were really much more challenging. Why mm. should people pay more? Why should people be expected to trust you? Look at what happened during the Royal Commission, uh, look at COVID. And so you get that. And then at the other extreme, you get people who as journalists have experienced aged care through uh, the journey of one of their loved ones who really do see the people in our sector are trying their absolute hardest, but just don't have enough resources to get where they want to get. So it was a pretty odd day. Um, yeah, and yeah. and it was it was really quite educational, I think, because as, as the day progressed, I was getting sense of what people really cared about, which when I woke up that morning and did my first uh, live TV interview on um, ABC Breakfast, uh, I didn't really know what everybody was going to prioritize uh, and think. And so through that day, it really did kind of evolve. And mm. I'd say, you know, we learned some lessons. We learned uh, that, uh, you know, I think I said earlier, it's a national conversation you can create, but once it's started, you don't necessarily have control of it anymore. Yeah, um, at one point, which was really quite distressing, I think, for, for us and for some of our stakeholders, it wasn't described as an issues paper. It was described as some joint letter. Yeah. yeah. Written to which, of course, they made up. Which th that was an ABC thing. They made it up. I, I wake up, I go into the interview. I didn't even know that's how they were introducing it. And suddenly people are saying, hang on, we didn't sign a joint letter. And I, you know, I feel pretty bad about that. But at the same time, it's a lesson that media sometimes say what they want to say, even when you have not 
actually say what they're saying they've said. So um so that was that was a lesson. Um but it but it really did capture the national imagination and it was by far the biggest political story of the day. It was indeed, yeah. And I think and I think the um uh, uh just coming back to the principles as I mentioned before, I don't know that was a huge part of the discussion, but I think that the principles are really sort of what came out of the paper because um, they can be used for uh, policy development now by the government. Uh, so, you know, we've we've proposed 10 of them. Uh, we, I think we started, Tom, with um, eight and then we went to nine and then we landed on 10. So uh, it wasn't one of those uh, papers where we had a number of 10 in mind, but it just sort of grew to that. But I think those are really key key things in the paper because we talk about independent and person-centred. We talk about having an efficient system, uh, you know, making sure that uh, funding is trans transparent. Uh, you know, it's you know we, we look at means testing, make sure there's universal access. And I think for me that was one of the really like really key things in this paper where we're talking about all these really challenge challenging things, but uh, we're also ensuring that the way we approached it was that uh, regardless of whether you had the financial means or not basically proposing um, principles that would ensure that everyone would be able to access aged care. And, and I think, you know, and I know this was a real concern for us as we're getting to the final stages of the drafting, that if you came up with 10 principles, everyone would think that we just wanted to make it a round <laughs> number. Um, we really didn't. Uh, but the last one, um, you know, the, the first one, num principle number one, um, which we'd kind of had throughout the principles, but maybe felt needed to be really much stronger. And so we made it principle number one was this issue of ensuring that whatever we do, uh, people are more likely to be sported in their homes to be independent than they are today. Uh, that we don't want a system that just reinforces our current bias towards residential care because that's what we've already got. We know we don't compare well internationally in terms of the proportion of our older population who are in residential setting. You look at countries like Canada and they're almost half the level of people over 75 in residential care. So we know that, that that is something we have to do. And that was just for me, that was a lesson of when you look at the problem we've got now, that's not something that immediately jumps out at you. Actually, our financial settings might be incentivizing people into residential care. And though we made that principle number one, that should not be the case. Uh, and and um, that that was really, really important. But unfortunately, yes, it meant we ended up with a round number of principles, which looks like we made it up, but it wasn't. We promised that isn't how it, how it transpired. Um, just, it, just on principle 10 there, uh, intergenerational intergenerationally fair um uh that was a really key principle as well and i think that you know it relates to the intergenerational report uh that's been released uh which you know back in my day was supposed to be every five years but apparently now it's um uh, whenever the government uh, wants to but uh, you know looking at the next 40 years and the challenges associated with that for the australian population i think Having read a few of these now, um, it seems to me that um, it's like we sort of release a report that shows that we've got an ageing population and that's a surprise to everyone um, and that, you know, in the next 40 years um, our, our population will be over 40 million, um, that the people over 65 will double, the people over 85 will triple. But I swear I've read these things before. Um, and But instead of actually 
planning for these things. We've almost been sleepwalking into it. Do you think? Do you think now is the time to actually uh, uh, start to genuinely address these things and look at how we actually uh, support aged care um, going going forward for what will be a different demographic? Yeah, I, I think it, it, you're right, and the, and the point is, all of the intergenerational reports we've ever had look forty or fifty years into the future, and they all picked up this trend. Uh, this is a very, very common um, demographic trend in countries like Australia around the world. It's nothing new. I was learning about this when I did my geography um, yeah. level. Um, sorry, that's English terminology. But when I was sort of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, doing studying geography in school, we were learning about this. This demographic bulge. Mm-hmm of the baby boomers kind of traveling up um, as they aged. I think the other thing that I want to, I feel like the other problem we have is every time we talk about it, we talk about it as a bad thing. Mm. And we need to stop doing that. You know, one of the things for ACPA that we want to prioritize is is stamping out, calling out, uh, reversing this ageist trend that we have in our society. Um, It's not an inherently bad thing that the population is aging. Unless you view the future the way we view today and say that people over 65 aren't going to be allowed, essentially, to be economically active. Um, We're going to disincentivize that through the rules we have around your ability to access your pension. Um, We're going to continue to, if we're going to continue to see older people as of lesser value, which which absolutely should not think. But it's as though that's the kind of predominant view. So when you see an intergenerational report come out that says we're going to see this doubling in older population, oh dear, what are we going to do? It just reinforces this idea that that's a bad thing. I think we need to start to see it as an opportunity. And there are things we're going to have to do to turn it into an opportunity. We are going to have to change our tax settings for older people so that we're not disincentivizing them to to work if they want to do so. But we've also got to make sure we've got care and supports that mean that ageing is not something to be frightened of. Mm. But our healthcare system is better equipped to care and support older people. Because at the moment, all we hear about all the people in health is that they're the problem. Uh, they're they're causing the bed blocking problem, which is so awful to hear. Um, instead of saying, "Well, how can we resolve that? How can we make sure that primary care is better integrated with acute care, is better integrated with aged care, with disability services and community services?" That conversation seems to get pushed to the back. And I really think if we're ever going to do that and change that narrative, it's now. Because, as we said earlier, this is the first time we've been able to have a more grown-up conversation about whether we increase taxes to pay for aged care, whether we ask people to pay more of their superannuation towards their own care rather than passing it on to their children or grandchildren. So I think now might be the moment, but perhaps I'm just... Um, I'm just being overly optimistic, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be um, crushingly disappointed. But I hope, I hope that's that's what we will get. Yeah, indeed. And I think, and I think, just um, picking up on that point too, I think pretty soon in the next sort of fifteen years or so, we'll have the first generation of people who, you know, basically throughout their entire working life have actually had mandated superannuation where they've contributed to that in every single job. So it is going to be really fascinating to see what that then looks like in terms of your retirement plans, how how it all works. But also, you know, thinking about um, that point that you picked up on, you know, for those over 65, what, 
that doesn't necessarily mean you just you know you just automatically stop working. Um, you know, we know that um, some older people do want to work for a quite quite a long time in a part time role and what have you. And thinking about the economy and the sorts of you know jobs that they might want to do or um, uh, you know work part time you know in the 80s like we don't really know and i think that we need to sort of as you say sort of get out of the today thinking and thinking about the future mm. and 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 um you know we've got a workforce crisis not just in aged care obviously we're most focused on aged care but there's a workforce crisis in every sector and to be disincentivizing older people to work and to help uh, you know continue to contribute uh, to that workforce shortage when they want to <laughs> seems completely ridiculous um but we do that we do that because we have an almost kind of 19th or 20th century view of of life and mm. that's not the reality anymore but in a lot of our policy settings it still is so you know we, we the other thing that the government's talking about this week is a competition policy review um, how do we make sure that we're a more productive, a more competitive economy? Um, these are all kinds of conversations that we should be talking about um, the opportunity of aging population, as opposed to it being a problem or a, just a zero sum game, a cost. Um, so, so that's the conversation that's happening right at the moment. And, and I hope that our issues paper has contributed in some way to a more open conversation about the future. That was our intention. Yep. Um, I think uh, we definitely created a conversation. I like to think that it's a positive conversation. It felt like a positive conversation. It felt like it was well received. And, you know, I suppose that's where we should talk about next steps and what happens now. Um, first and most obvious one being there's an aged care task force now that's talking yes, about okay. financial sustainability that was announced the week after our summit um, in, a, in a press club speech by um, aged care minister Anka Wells. Uh, I was appointed to that. Um, and I must say that's a weird experience, having the job on one side as an advocate and on the other side having confidential conversations about what the future could actually look like. That's a, a really strange kind of uh, uh, two hats that I'm wearing. Um, but it's that is part of the next steps and, and the issues paper um, it helps that, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got the, um, uh, as my understanding anyway, uh, we've got uh, the first actions of that task force uh, uh, coming through in my EFO. Uh, and then I imagine jargon alert. Sorry, jargon alert. Mid year, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the mid year economic and fiscal outlook. Uh, and then, and then we've also got uh, the budget next year, which I imagine will be more substantive given the timeframes here. And I think looking at the timeframes and just knowing what it's like to pull together a paper in a month, uh, I, I just look at sort of when the task force was formed you know, versus when they are intending to uh, start looking at uh, rolling out the first bits of uh, funding and what have you following the task force in December. Seems like a very, very short time frame to me. But I suspect we'll see more substantive uh, funding initiatives um, and policy lever changes potentially uh, the following year in May for the federal budget. Well, and the other really critical point is because a lot of these things that we've uh, canvassed as ACPA uh, will require legislative change. And we have a new Aged Care Act due to uh, come in on the 1st of July 
next year, 2024. Um, so, you know, that's, I mean, the timing when the Minister announced the task force and said it's got to report an interim report by October and a final report by December, those of us have been appointed to it. I don't think it was lost on us how challenging <laughs> it was going to be, but that's the plan. Um, I'm absolutely um, uh, certain that that is what will happen because uh, the minister has made very clear to us that it must. Um, yep. So yep. It, it will, and we've got lots of support from from Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, Department of Health and Ageing, and yeah, it's it's actually um, it, it it's well supported. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got a lot of work to do, uh, but we have some once in a generation opportunities we have mm. the changing attitudes but we also have the royal commission uh, recommending a whole of change that costs money um and we have uh, we have a new act that we have to to bring in in the middle of next year so there's lots of opportunities so mm. i can't you know you could you could shy away from this kind of stuff but how often in a career do you get an opportunity to to yeah. make change of this scale or have a role in making change of this scale and and so we have to grasp it yeah yeah Ab absolutely and i think that um one of the challenges with that is of course there's there's this huge opportunity here but it's all happening at once and of course we've got the care economy as well and there's an even bigger conversation with uh the prime the prime minister and cabinet so it's um a lot of work between uh now and uh when we land these things well, and and the, the thing to remember is our members, our, our aged care provider members, our home care providers, our residential um, providers, our retirement and seniors living uh, operators are the ones that are at the centre of all of this, trying to keep up with all of this change. And, and you know, change is now a constant for us in this sector. I think that's safe to say. Uh, but if it's going to change, this is my overriding view, we're going to have to deal with change anyway. Let's be at the centre of it and let's make sure it's change that actually makes things better rather than change for its own sake. So uh, that's what we were trying to achieve with an issues paper of this nature. Um, and hopefully we've played some part in doing that. So thank you for talking to me about it, Roel. Um, uh, we thank were you. there all the way through that process. It was very scribble. I think we may, may have lost a, a few years off our lives during, during <laughs> Just it. Just a few more grey hairs, yes. A few more. Well, you 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 have a few more grey hairs. I have a few fewer hairs. Um, uh, but we we got there, and I think it was worth it. So, Great. thank you.